Hi, I'm Sadek. And I'm Christian. And this is episode 110 of Shades of Brown. Um, so actually, I wanted to start today's episode just by following up on from last week when we were talking about the whole uh, with the uh, with the EGPU thing, right? And then I had to reinstall macOS afterwards because I fucked up the bootloader. That was a fun mess too. That actually, I should have put it in last week's episode about like how a you in general should not install um, like bootloaders on uh, a, like a UEFI device that's uh, like a Mac and it's kind of locked down. Like it's generally a bad idea to attempt to fuck with the bootloader. Um, and, and for reference, right, it was just that was done because there's it, it. If you put in a custom bootloader, it will allow you to boot Windows with the eGPU plugged in, so you don't have to hot plug it. So I did that right, and then uh, ended up nuking out Windows because it still didn't work. And then Mac OS got real fucky. So whatever, we reinstalled Mac OS, and then once I'm reinstalling it, it's like I'm installing all the audio apps and stuff. Half my apps, I get more majority of them from the Mac App Store, so that was pretty easy. I had iCloud backups, and I have a local Time Machine backup that I can restore from. So whatever. But then when it came to installing um, Isotopes suite of software, and they make like it's called Isotope RX. They also do Ozone, which is mastering and mixing software. But what RX is, it is a set of tools that lets you fix audio and fixes in like air quotes here. Um, so it basically gives you room de-echo. Um, you also get voice uh, background um, noise remover. So that's what I use to defeat FanChan every week. Even on my side, I use it on my side too because I've noticed that um, if I keep my fan on and I use this microphone, I get less echo in the recording because there's white noise cutting it out rather than if I have no fans going. So it's actually to my benefit to keep that going in here because like if you're like if you're in a call center, right, and you have white noise shooting out consistently, it makes it harder for you to hear the people around you who are talking, even if you're in cubicles. And it also makes it harder for anyone um, like on the phone to hear any background noise because you have that consistent white noise blocking it out, similar to how like noise cancellation works, right? So having a ceiling fan going helps um, I helps not have background echo in. Because actually, if you listen to last week's episode versus the um, week prior, that's the same recording setup. And also, the plugins were the same once I got it working, which we'll get into in a minute. It's just that that one has noticeably more echo in it just because I did not have the fan going last week because it was cold, so I had the heater on. So there's it's a, like a little weird hack that I found. Um but that only that works if you have like the fan coming from the top and not if you have actually it might work for you since you have the fan pointed in your room in general that actually might be a reason why i never noticed any that's why i thought last week that you had like padding and stuff and and the fan i have now is is much quieter it's it's, ah you got that audio upgrade so it's not as (laughs) going amazon looking for quietest fans no yeah well yeah it is quieter um and it, it, it even has like a quiet mode like uh, that's like very like it's very quiet because it's like a lower speed so when it came to reinstalling the isotope apps what had happened is their apps are 64-bit they're like the actual software is 64-bit but they use a custom installer that when you run it looks just like a windows installer that is 32-bit and apparently it like decrypts an encrypted bundle and then installs it so i couldn't i kept i was popping into like the installer files like you know whatever let's mount it um i'll go through the files and if i have to like drag the application bundle or whatever to my applications folder not the end of the world as long as i can get the plugins and stuff turns out that's not how that works so i was uh pissed for about a day or two you know i was like because without those, like I genuinely would have had to use Audacity's built-in noise removal tools, 
or like sign up for Creative Cloud and use this stuff built into Audition, which I a fuck Adobe. I don't want Adobe's garbage on my computer. Um, and also I. So before before the Linux nerds get at me, Audacity is a great tool for what it offers and for how and for the price of it and for being an open source project. However, the noise removal tool is hot garbage and leaves this super compressed sound that I'm not a fan of. It like fills the noise with like this sort of like compressed crumbly noise that I I don't fuck with. Like it is so it is much more low quality than what I get out of the RX stuff that it's a non-starter for me to even use it. So after being mad for a day, I went ahead and I did what um I went full Karen and I complained to them on Twitter. And they're nice people. They DM'd me. They're like, hey, um, here's a Dropbox link and here's some technical instructions, but this should this will get the VSTs loaded in your DAW. Um VSTs are the plugins and it'll get loaded into logic. But we at the moment don't have a way of manually installing the audio editor app, which is fine. Because I would sometimes run like your audio or my audio through the editor app, do the plugins before instead of having them run live in logic just because i have a run live in logic you get a little bit uh you get a couple milliseconds of delay for when you on playback because obviously it's, it's running in real time and it makes like your cpu run a little hotter because it's doing all of the um, noise removal and compression and all that stuff in real time so i usually used to put it through there but whatever if i have to run it live like i've done that before it's not the end of the world so what they gave me is a dropbox link to like an unencrypted bundle of the application and mind you, they gave me the link to the wrong version because I'm not using I'm not using RX seven. I'm on the prior version RX six, and they told me that RX six is apparently depreciated in January of 2018. It doesn't even officially support Mojave. But they're like, yeah, uh, we could still we'll still give this to you. And it, we've heard pe- we won't if it doesn't work. It might just not be broken on Catalina, but we will give it to you, and you can you know use these instructions, uh, these installation instructions. And your mileage may vary. I'm like, cool, whatever. I did that. And it did work. And uh, and so I had originally thought that they gave me a unauthenticated, like, DRM-free version of it because it, they all the plugins started working without me doing anything. But then I realized in my quest to get um, the installer working beforehand, there actually is a separate authenticator, like, DRM app you have to install that manages keys and licenses. And it turns out it was just pulling from my existing key that was on this device. Oh, okay. So, so okay. So you just authenticated it already. So it just, Yeah, it had uh, been pre-authenticated when it loaded. It, it checked whatever authentication file and started working out of the box, which is fine. But that was like, I sent you, I think I sent you an exact copy of the DM. <laughs> yeah, I, I read that. I was like, that's some Linux-ass shit. Like, it's just like, uh, that's, that's something you read. Like, you install some software on Linux that's like, that's like not supported in the latest kernel or whatever and you have to install it from like the git repo and it's like you have to copy something somewhere this is like something. this is why you don't a use custom installers and b like for real i don't know why they can't just like go through the mac app store because there's i don't the drm the drm probably is why right like they would have to replace the drm well it gives you a serial key because well, well, you can so you can use the Authenticator app or piece Authenticator app. You just log in with your online account and it automatically authenticates it. Or you could just plug in a serial number. You have the option to actually not use that, and the software will allow you to plug in a serial number if you don't want that DRM app on your computer. So they could 
I don't think there's any policies on the App Store for preventing you from well, actually, ah, uh, purchases, right? And app purchases, they'd have to give, they'd have to give Apple a cut. Yeah, that might. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they're, 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 that's I'm like they would have to rework their distribution model. Like basically, they would have to get like they have to have another distribution model if they want to continue like distributing apps outside of the Mac App Store. They would have to have both, right? Uh, that would be like a major pain in the ass, probably for them, right? I don't imagine that like, they're a huge company. So it's like it was probably like a huge pain in the ass to do both. I mean, it was probably a huge pain in the ass for them to write that 32 bit custom Mac installer instead of. I mean, it's, it's probably like a vendor like they use. It's probably some vendor that provides Mac installers that have DRM. I don't know. I don't think it's like I don't think they wrote. But it. also, they but they've had like three years now to upgrade it to be 64 bit. They have known. They have known. They have known. They, I, it's it's clearly like it's what is it? It's like a small team or it's like a couple people or something. I don't know. Like it's like it feels like. It just like they can't keep up, or like they haven't had the time to keep up, or they they want you to buy the new version, which new version is though 60- also is thirty two bit for the installer. That's the oh, thing. Well, the RX seven, oh, even RX seven, oh, the, the one that came that's out last year. That's that's why I was that's why I was mad, right? But I was like, okay, maybe if this version discontinued twenty eighteen, was thirty two bit only, fine. You know, it makes sense. They the, it came out like twenty fourteen. It's been like five four years of that version being supported. Cool. But the even the latest version also doesn't support it. Oh, so it's just the installer that's that's a problematic uh, issue. Yeah, it it's just a fucky okay. installer. It was it was a hot mess, and I well, thankfully though, we I was able to get it all working, and we got a podcast out last week because um, I am like I said, Audacity people. It is it is it is. You have if you want to do a podcast on the cheap or audio projects on the cheap. And you also do not want to pay or can't pay for like Logic or or how even Adobe stuff or honestly like a MacBook that comes with GarageBand, right? If you're using Windows, Audacity is your best bet. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. But it's just that like if you if you use macOS at all, like honestly, you just pop in a GarageBand, you're gonna have a better time. The tools yeah, are better probably, for it. Yeah, and if you yeah if you can buy like something like. RX. I mean, RX is expensive, though. It's like, what, like 100? It depends. So the very expensive version of RX that has a bunch of things that I would want in my life, but I could never justify spending is like a 1,000. <laughs> the base RX, though, the one that gives you the most important, it gives you de-clipping, gives you voice de-noise. I think it gives you de-hum, so it could let you cut out like AC and HVAC systems. And it gives you another one of de-clicks. If you have, so if you have like an old vinyl record right that you're trying to convert to digital it allows you to de-click the audio that is only a hundred dollars and usually go like black friday usually goes on sale for like sixty dollars so that's not that bad it, it's just the expensive one the thousand dollar one it gives me very nice things like um because right now i use a separate final cut 10 plugin <laughs> for removing noise uh echo de-reverbs in um in in the recordings that actually works pretty well uh but they have like a really nice one that uses like an ml model to automatically train itself on your audio um, that's also how the voice, that's how the voice remover, uh, the noise reduction one works actually as well. It uses the ML model that, um, trains stuff on the audio and then just removes anything that doesn't detect to be a voice. It works amazingly. That's including the thousand dollar one. Yeah. I mean, people have, people who listen to this podcast know like the audio profile. It sounds good. It sounds really good. Uh, I think it's just that, that my, my mic is not the greatest, but you know, it's, it's fine. Well, so I mean, I I don't want I I think I think from this last week's episode, this week's episode, some of you might think that I'm shaming Static for his audio. That's not the case. It's just that 
it's fun to fix the audio, right? Like, it, it, yeah, but it would be better to have like a better source. Material. I mean, like, of course, like if you if you had a like like we said, if you had an interface, an arm mounted mic, a dedicated room, and all that, but like it doesn't. Yeah, I yeah, that's the yeah that that would be lovely, but yeah, it's it's not feasible. It doesn't make yeah. sense, and more importantly, like this setup that I have here, right? Like, I can never use this microphone for a stream. I would have to buy another setup if I wanted to do streaming, if I wanted to, even for like a regular Discord call. Because if I'm playing a game, this microphone is in my face. I can't look at my monitor and play a game at the same time because I'm talking directly into this microphone that's in the middle of it. I had to buy like a separate uh, Sennheiser gaming headset to for for like doing like just like video game stuff, like video video game VoIP stuff. Like I couldn't use my yeti for that because it's really awkward to have like the mic in front of me and then the keyboard behind me it's uh, like in front of the mic it's 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 very awkward uh so i guess for anyone who who's out there like wanting to start a podcast right like you a don't need any of these mics you however like placement does matter and that's that's like because ideally like what even with the mic you have static if you were to turn the gain all the way down put it literally right in front of your face have a pot filter in the middle of it it would sound kind of studio-esque but that only makes sense for podcasting so like for i know people i've been asked this before they're like oh i want to do like an audio thing what should i do i'm like if you honestly even like a yeti literally just like get a wind yes, screen get for a it. pop yeah get, Mount, a screen. get like take like three books or whatever and have it like just in front of your face and turn the gain all the way down and don't yeah that's actually it. a good idea yeah and yeah. that will make it sound way better but that obviously is only good for that one use case if you're gonna use it for like a voice call or a conference call or whatever like it doesn't you, no that, I, I don't think the yetis are meant to be used like that i think the yetis are really meant to be like very beginner like podcast recording mics or like even like music i don't know if you can record music with this so you probably no actually you can you could so the thing too about if you're recording a guitar like you you naturally are not going to be in front of the microphone right like you're not going to be like a couple inches in front of the mic you're going to be like uh half a foot a foot back or whatever or like a meter half a however i don't know how, I don't know how metric <laughs> works. i'm sorry don't, don't blame me however that works you will be like you'll have a little bit of space between it so there's you have to turn up the gain and stuff on it and it's like these these cheaper microphones are probably see would be better for doing that kind of work than than vocals but at the end of the day you know these the microphone i'm using is like a cad one that's um this it's like a I think it's 300 on Amazon and it's meant for like singing. This is even meant for podcasting. This is not the microphone people use for podcasting. It's just that I was in the lucky place of people who are great and dope on Mastodon had a bunch of audio shit they don't use and sent me a box of it. Like the interface was sent by someone, a listener. This one, this CAD microphone was sent by someone. The arm I bought myself because um, there's like 20 bucks on Amazon. But like, that's like that's what I would say too. Did you actually use audio gear? Use audio gear is a great place to start because you don't really need like a brand new microphone. Yes, no, you don't don't need it to be near because it's like audio gear lasts a long time, right? Because it's it, it, there's not like a lot of movie. There's not really moving parts, and like especially microphones can last a long, long time, right? And I mean, DACs will naturally wear out over use just because they're if you so like if you use a DAC every day to run a radio show, like, I've seen like the I've read online a turnaround time it burns out within like three years. But if you're using once a week or whatever, that'll last forever. Yeah, yeah. And so that's that's our little like I guess audio follow up audio corner audio corner I guess. Uh, so you get a little bit of insight onto how this show is is edited uh, behind the scenes. 
Yeah, it's our little audio and um, don't fuck up your boot don't loader. Don't fuck up your boot loader. In, in general, that's good advice. In, in general. Uh, so let's, let's speak of bootloaders and operating systems. Uh, we have some, I guess, Android stuff to talk about. It's, it's, uh, this is like very like indie, like in depth, like not in depth. It's like kind of in the weeds. This is so, uh, Google is uh, like a, has outlined a plan for, uh, mainline Linux kernel support in Android. So, so to give like an uh, understanding of, okay, so people might be wondering like, if doesn't Android just use Linux, what is going on? Like, well, no, it's like Android, uh, uses like a, like a forked version of, like, it's like a very heavily patched version of, uh, like, uh, of, of the Linux kernel. So what happens is like Google takes the, like the long-term support release of the Linux kernel, and then they turn it into uh, what they call the Android common kernel, right? And then they apply Android OS specific patches. And then they ship that to the SOC vendor, so which is like Qualcomm usually. And then uh, Qualcomm adds its hardware-specific, like I guess, modules and code. Uh, and then the SOC kernel then gets shipped to the to the device manufacturer, so like uh, Samsung or whatever. Uh, and then they add their hardware-specific code. So it has to go through these like three layers of of, of modification and. It, it means that all this like all this code is being added to the uh, common to the, the kernel, the Linux kernel, which makes it like you know a maintenance nightmare, right? Like it's like it, like maintenance and support nightmare because like who's responsible for what? Like things break, where does it break? Like it, if a module breaks, like whose responsibility is it? Like it's it's really difficult. So Google is like planning uh, like a way to like bring the Android kernel closer to the mainline kernel, right? So it's like. So what's like what's the, what's the details on it? So it's like they want to upstream as much code as possible, and they're gonna replicate like their earlier work with Project Treble to create a stable interface between uh, the OS and Android between Android and the device, which is like a hell, right? The hardware abstraction layer. Uh, so. So like this is actually interesting because like Linux. The kernel community has been against a stable ABI for for a long time, but you know, like I think Google might be able to influence the kernel project enough where they can get a stable ABI. I don't know. Like I'm not I, I'm not really familiar with Linux kernel development at, at all, really. So like I don't know how feasible what what Google is suggesting is is like gonna be going forward. It's it's obviously a long term project, but like. How feasible it is, and for reference too, um, the the Pixel Four that just came out is using Linux kernel version. Let me pull up the exact number. It's for part of the Four series. It is it is using four point one fourteen, which was released in two thousand seventeen. Yeah, so, it's, it's a long. Uh, it's a long. They're probably using a long term release. Uh, like the, the the issue being though, right? This this leads to why partially as to why Android devices have such shit software support. Because let's say let's say it's um. Two more years from now, the Pixel 4's kernel release is out four years old. There are absolutely going to be vulnerabilities in that kernel. And Google has no real great way of updating that kernel. Because there's so much work because you get to get Qualcomm to release. Everyone, every hardware vendor on the stack has to release or work with Google to get, be able to make sure all the devices work, the drivers work together for that new kernel version. Yeah, exactly. So like if they want to update the kernel, they, they'd have to rebuild all their, all, all the, all the vendors along the stack, like all the, all the all Qualcomm and like, I guess LG or whoever makes the, 
device. Uh, so let's say Samsung for the display, Qualcomm for the SOC, whoever makes the storage, probably Samsung for the flash storage. Um, let's say let's say they use blue they use like some random bluetooth chip right that the Soli team for the radar um the camera vendors right sony for the cameras all of them you know, people you have to contact and you may think to yourself well if this is such a pain in the ass for android how come desktop linux doesn't run into this problem well a lot of the drivers they're open sourced they're built into a piece that's open source if if Qualcomm had an open source hardware stack that could be as a part you know branch on the mainline kernel, then that'd be make the, that'd make this so much easier because they'll never Qualcomm will never release an open source stack. Um, so, so this is like a similar problem to when when in Linux where you have third party like uh, commonly the most common third party proprietary driver that people usually have is their GPU driver, right? Like the NVIDIA driver. If you if you install the NVIDIA driver, that's like a black like a black bulb, right? It's actually like you download a body blob from from NVIDIA that you that you, it's a proprietary thing. It's it's not it's not an open source one. So unless you, like if you use the proprietary version, yeah, like you're gonna have issues and like you're gonna you're dependent on on the on the proprietary vendor to keep up with the kernel, right? And that's all. That's not a guarantee, uh, and they can stop doing it at any time. So it's like that. So that's what they're trying to solve. They're trying to solve this this dependency problem where they have to depend on all these vendors to update the kernel, and uh, it's not a good thing. Google's Google's obviously this is like a pattern, right? Google is trying to control the update process of of Android. They're trying to rein in all the edges, right? They're trying to rein in all the rough edges of the update process, like the kernel, the the project treble, and what else, like. Uh, Project mainline, like they're all, they're trying to do all this stuff to get rain in all this, all these problems. But it's it's gonna be tough, really. It's a, especially the kernel part. I think it's gonna be really tough because how are you gonna like? You're gonna you have to convince kernel maintainers to allow this to happen. They need a hardware and, abstraction layer, basically, right? Like they need a need a hell to make this happen. I think. But and, and I don't think the kernel maintainers are gonna do that because ideally, right outside of GPUs. Everything's the whole stack's always been open source. USB, um, Wi-Fi, all of that has been open source. Like there, hell, there's even been a little bit of, of work in the kernel to support the Touch Bar on the Mac, right? And that's open source. None of that's ever going to be a binary. Yeah, blog. the Touch Bar is probably just like a HID device and like it's a touchscreen device, right? It's, it's probably supportable. Like it's like probably somebody can ride a driver for it. Or- yeah, you just have to do the work for it. And that's and Google's coming in saying, "Hey, we have a bunch of changes that we want to upstream that only really benefit from Android, right? They might benefit some other ARM projects." Because right, so like a side a side benefit is actually that Linux on phones would be easier if. If the kernel version, if there was a hell. If there was a hell, yes. If there was a hell that is workable, workable. I mean, the problem is if they, if they make a hell and it's like Android specific. I don't know if that's like very helpful for other operating ARM based operating systems. But like, uh, it's I don't know. Like Google's interest in this is obviously very self centered, right? Like it's obviously beneficial to them specifically to have this. Uh, so yeah, and I'm not sure if this is like. How long if this is gonna ever even move forward? If it's gonna happen, like obviously they're gonna work on it, but how much of it is? I mean, what's the chances that Google just strong arms? Are I mean, they can't. They really. I mean, they, I mean, I have no doubt they can strong arm a lot. I mean, money money pays for a lot of things, and Google could just literally just start paying the salaries of kernel maintainers until they get enough people. You could just go to kernel.org, and one of these sponsors 
on on the bottom you can see is you can see the Google logo there. Uh, so you know, you know, like it's uh, money. Money talks very loudly. Uh, so. We'll see, I guess. This is like if, if anybody I, I suspect people who follow kernel development who are kernel developers. I don't know if anybody who who was familiar listens to this podcast. Uh I suppose there would be some sort of article like on this on, on LWN.net if, if there isn't already. Uh right. Let's actually check real quick. Let's see. Let's load up LWN. I, I think I think there might be like uh it might be behind the paywall. Uh, I don't know if it's there yet, but like uh, they usually have like this kind of stuff uh, usually behind the paywall, like uh, which is fine. Uh, LWN is a good site. LWN is a site that should be uh, financially supported. Absolutely, uh, it's one of the best sources of uh, Linux news. Uh, I, I keep it in my RSS feed uh, all the time. It's it's good. Uh, so that is the. I mean, I can't really tell. Like, it's hard for us to talk about it. I feel like because it's like a lot of it is very technical, and I'm not familiar with kernel development. I'm not. I'm not a. I'm not a programmer. Certainly not a kernel programmer, so uh, it is it is hard to talk about it in, in in sort of an abstract sense. We can only just talk about it in an abstract sense, really. Uh, yeah, talking about it in sort of like an actual, a dedicated sort of, of yeah, sense yeah. It's it's hard because we don't know like all all this all the little bits that are involved. Uh, oh, actually, there is an um, there is an article from 2018 that looks like from that uh, LWN has about bringing Android kernel to the mm-hmm. mainline. They probably, they're, I would suspect they probably have a few articles on that. Uh, it's certainly like a topic that's not new, I guess. Like it's not a new problem, uh, certainly. So, uh, so that's that's Android and Linux. The the Linux kernel. Uh, we sh- we're gonna move on to the next topic, which is which is a topic that I've been. Uh, following sort of uh, i've been aware of for for some time now and it is uh it is aptly titled by by uh geoff hosting over at apnic is the dns wars uh, and now uh now there's i'm gonna like there's gonna be a link to a, a blog post by geoff about the dns wars which provides a lot of context a lot of uh, historical context to how the DNS has evolved throughout its, uh, basically throughout its lifetime, right? Like from the, uh, from like the nineties along, right? Like how there has been like the root wars, the, the issue with the site finder and zone contents and open resolver wars. Like at some point, I don't know how many people remember this when open DNS started redirecting google.com to a different search engine and then google got pissed and they released their own open resolver i don't know how many people remember this uh because it's pretty it's a while ago now uh it's like 8.8.8.8.8 uh was was launched as, as a part of like google launching its its public dns to ensure integrity of like positive and negative responses in a dns so let me explain a few things right okay so when you uh, let's let's say you have a internet connection from your residential ISP, right? I'm going to keep these things general. So you have a residential connection. Uh, you you, you want to visit twoshadesofbrown.com, right? And now when you type in twoshadesofbrown.com in your web browser, what happens is, or, or your OS is what is called a stub resolver because it doesn't do the resolving itself. It asks something else to do the resolving. So your OS sends a query to whichever resolver is configured. So that, that depends usually in most networks. It's handed out by your router. It's usually your router. And your router then, router usually is like a forwarder. So what it does, it, it forwards it to your ISP's resolvers, right? And then the ISP's resolvers are recurses, which 
then do the whole chain, right? They, they go to, you know, like the root and then they ask.com and then they ask.com for the name servers and they ask the name servers for, for what the names, what the name servers are for two shades of brand.com. And then it asks the name servers what the, like the A record is for two shades of brand.com. So like that's how the, that's, that's the gist of the, the, the DNS process as it is for clients, right? Uh, now, now this process is basically on un, like unencrypted end to end. Like there's no encryption in this path. Like there is the, 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 your computer talking to your router is, is a plain text DNS query. Your, your router talking to the ISP's resolver is also a plain text query. Your, your ISP's resolvers talking to the authoritative servers is also a plain text query. So it's like it's plain text all the way around. Uh, and the topic at hand is is what is called is 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 the is the current is like the encryption the client side encryption so transport encryption so it's either uh, DNS over HTTPS or DNS over TLS right so this 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 tag encrypts your client's request to the to the result right so your you would your 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 OS would talk uh, a DOH or DOT to your router. So your that, that would that would encrypt that last mile. Uh the problem here, just can you do did you understand what the problem is? Why people are concerned about like like this path being encrypted and why like it's a concern for uh it can be snooped right at any level in the in that request, right? And and also be it could be like a man in the middle attack could happen anywhere, right? Someone could just come in and resolve it to somewhere else instead of the actual website. So, the, like the, the, people are the main concern of implanting DOH and like DOT, like the main reasoning is to to encrypt that last mile for host hostile networks, right? Like so, if you if you are on like um, say a coffee shop Wi Fi, which is the, which is a public a public Wi Fi network. Uh, or like uh, maybe a library or something like that. Uh, your your DNS queries are being sent in plain text, right, to to the resolver, uh, and that is and that's not that's not good. Uh, and you obviously want to like secure that in some way, like and, and DOH and DOT would be a way to secure that. Now the problem is right now uh, is that DOH uh, DNS over HTTPS is is being is being so there are two things. The DOT, I'm going to start with DOT. DOT is TLS. The IETF decided this is a, of the DNS Privacy Working Group, uh, TCP port 853. So it uses a different port number uh, for, the, for the TLS, right? Uh, and DNS over HTTPS, obviously HTTPS is over TCP port, what, 443, right? So... So these two implementations are, are are different. Like HTTPS uses TLS, right? But like HTTPS is it's like it's obviously like you, everybody uses HTTPS every day. And and the argument for DOH is that it, it nobody will be filtering uh, HTTPS because filtering HTTPS means you basically break the internet uh, because you, you cannot reach anything. Everything uses HTTPS these days. Like every website you go to is on is on HTTPS. Like like if you, if you go to two shades of brown it's, it's going to be on HTTPS. So like if HTTPS is broken for you, uh, that that's not like that's not it's going to break everything. Uh, so that's the argument. And the, the the other argument the other way around is that this is centralizing DNS queries in a few vendors. So right now the biggest DOH provider is Cloudflare. So, like, Cloudflare uh, has implemented uh, DOH 
on their on their uh, on their open resolver, which is one dot one dot one, right? Uh, and they 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 are they are really pushing hard on this, like they're pushing on uh, on the OH. And the concern here is this is just another way for 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 companies to control the last like to get the last bit of data that they don't have which is the dns queries and the dns query is extremely valuable because it, it, it gives you a lot of information and it allows you to correlate that information with other information that you have collected to form a profile right for that so essentially advertisers right and the concern is advertisers are gonna like apps are gonna start uh implementing doh and they're gonna just use doh for dns and because they want your dns queries along with everything else also like imagine if like uh, if Netflix implements DOH in their app, so to prevent people from using other DNS servers, right, uh, to bypass like content restrictions or whatever, or maybe uh, like if you using a, a like something like a pie hole to bro- uh, block ads, like you could like some something could like uh, like an app could just use its own DNS server via DOH, and you wouldn't be able to block ads in it, right? So stuff like that. So it's 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 a concern that advertisers are just gonna implement their own path here and essentially use it to collect data and essentially use it to bypass admin decisions. Uh, but like the network itself, like it's uh like it's 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 not. So I've shouted enough on this. Like this 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 is a lot, and I think like people should really read like the the post I, we're gonna link because it it goes into much more detail. It's also like a talk by. Uh, Paul Vixie, uh, who uh, at Nanoc this year, and it was it was uh, it's it's worth a watch. Uh, so Christian, what do you like? What do you think about all this? Like I've I've gone on long enough. There's a lot of lot of stuff here, but like, what are your thoughts on this? So I guess I guess a question for you, just as a sort of broad, is while so does this mean then that locally then that if you have DOH that admins on like say say we're on a lockdown network right and say there's like a corporate firewall, they don't have the ability to block specific domains or piece it's going to be encrypted now or can they still block it before the request is made so uh, i like i would imagine if, if you're in a corporate network and you're worried about mm, not having visibility on doh right uh you would probably block all the common doh resolvers right you'd block 1.1 at your edge right uh so so like because you could in theory because you could in theory have like your own doh resolver for that corporate network right or that could be a service that's provided and that one they could obviously add like a hit of privacy right but still allow you to filter it also it's 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 fairly early early days and there is not the client support for doh is very low so you have to third-party software to implement uh doh and and as of like as of now microsoft has shown their intention like in a blog post uh, recently, the, this this is why we're talking about this uh, this topic. Is uh, Microsoft says they are planning on implementing implementing encrypted DNS requests in Windows, which is a big deal because no no OS so far no uh, no major OS has 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 implemented like native support for it for DOH or or D, or, or D, DOT and and uh, Microsoft is saying they're planning on implementing. DOH first, and then other options such as DOT. So they and also, but they are also hedging their bets. They are they are saying that they want to implement both uh, in a way so that corporate their corporate customers are not pissed off that they don't have visibility anymore into DNS queries uh, because DNS queries are often used to for like malware prevention reasons. To like you, you want visibility on your DNS queries, right? Uh, 
like they want to implement it in a way where they the user has the choice. They can they can choose the DOI server. They can choose the DOT server. Uh, so they they are obviously trying to make like the most reasonable path forward. Obviously, and they and they said they wanted to support DOH first because DOH means that you can you can, re, you can reuse existing HTTPS infrastructure, so like your web server, uh, which means it makes it easier to deploy on the server side, which would make like a, a corporation it would be easier for a corporation to deploy a DOH server. Uh, uh, like on in their network, so so that's like the thing. It's it, like visibility. Uh, obviously, is is a question for enterprises. Uh, and I would imagine if, if the enterprises want visibility, they would have to implement their own DOH server. Like that's that's all that's gonna like that's the end goal. Which Microsoft will absolutely uh, offer as a part of uh, Office three sixty five or whatever they call it now for businesses. Oh uh, yeah, absolutely. They're gonna they're gonna probably offer like a managed service where you can just point it towards their DOH resolver, right? And like you can just see those queries coming in uh, in your your admin panel or whatever for visibility, right? Uh, so like. Although I like how I like how this so this as its own is very technical. I understand it to an extent. You understand it far more than I do. But this is now totally being co-opted as a antitrust thing against Google in Congress by the ISPs, which is and the thing about that is like ah because it's like yes is google anti-competitive yes but is this the reason no and and blocking doh sounds like an objectively bad idea just because verizon wants to be able to sell targeted ads against your browsing history exactly so 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 see the problem is isps are not wrong partially but their their intentions are self-centered right obviously like the american isps are extremely Self-centered, they only care about their own profit margins, uh, and they are seeing a potential. Like they're seeing, seeing one of their uh, profit margins go away because of DOH, because they they're worried that they won't be able to essentially hijack your uh, DNS, like NX, like negative DNS queries, and then give you ads, right? Like they they are worried about they they want to be they don't have access to that data anymore. Uh, they want to have visibility. They won't be able to sell that data to to advertisers, but at the same time, there there are points that it is centralizing DOH into certain parties is also true. So it makes it it makes it so that the ISPs are not wrong, but you have to take the argument with a bit of uh, like you have to understand where they're coming from, which is they're worried about their own private uh, like own profit margins. So everybody's worried about their own margins, and it, like the parties who are implementing cloud like Cloudflare, uh, who's pushing uh, DOH like really really hard is is like obviously interested in that data like i would imagine they are interested in that because like why would you not be interested in that like it's it's like so much data that is very identified like if you correlate that with other data it's like holy oh boy it's a it's it's a uh, you can just looking at a dns queries can tell you a lot about uh somebody's browsing habits uh so so like this is this this is like the future of the DNS going forward. Like what is gonna happen with DO, like DOH? And like I think really is that DOT should be the the one that we should be using. But also at the same time, I understand that DOT would be easily be filtered because it's on a separate port. And, and anybody who wants to filter that would just would just drop port eight five three, and it would be very easy. Uh, so, like, it would be very obvious. Like, it's a separate protocol, and it's like very obvious that it's a separate protocol. And with with DOH, it's like you're just hiding in HTTPS, which makes it like you're hiding 
like a needle in a haystack, basically, right? Because so much traffic is HTTPS, right? Like if you, if you're like if you're doing a traffic and like a like a traffic dump from a PC that's using DOH, um, you wouldn't be like you'd be like you unless you knew like the DOH server, you'd be like where is where is where are the DNS queries? Because it's like it's all like hidden in, in the normal HTTPS traffic, basically. It's like it's a, so that's that's the other argument. So there's this this is still in flux. Obviously, Microsoft saying that they're going to implement DOH is a big deal because it is a major vendor making a making a making a like a statement on what direction they want to move in, uh, and that is going to affect millions of PCs, right? So that is that is a big deal. Uh, this topic is um, is is it's still in flux, and it's like it's concerning to me because it's like I don't want like the DNS has been. Co-op, like it's the open resolvers have like sort of co-opted the market, and it's like the open resolvers have way too much power in this market. Uh, yeah, it's uh, I'm not I'm not a huge fan, and I, I don't like the ISPs much either. Like the ISPs should, uh, in my opinion, ISPs should be providing resolver service to their clients, but uh, they should be doing it in good faith, not in not as an additional profit margin, but which which ISPs do. Uh, some ISPs anyway, some ISPs do not. Use their DNS servers as a profit margin, so uh, so that's that. Uh, if anybody has questions or like, this is uh, like I can talk about this topic for a long time because there's a lot to talk about. But if anybody has questions, feel free to ask me on Mastodon or send me an email because I'd love to talk to people about this. Uh, because uh, I've I have most of my thoughts come down to hmm, more encryption sounds good. Politics getting in the way of it sounds bad, and I can because like I I consider myself to be a fairly technical person, but like I'm not I'm be real. There's a good part of this that um abstractly yeah it makes sense, but then if the implementation details of it, fuck if I know. Even after it's been explained, to I me. think like the implementation implementing uh, implement uh, that's a hard word to say for right now, but like the details are I think are not as important right now because they are still being hashed out. But the what, what's important is who. Uh, I mentioned this in a, ch- in a chat a-, a while back, is who controls the information flow, right? Who has access to information flow? Whoever in this current age of information is is whoever owns and controls and manages has visibility. Oh my God, that'd be a great poster. Okay, so hear me out, hear me out, all right? We got the uh, the cyberpunk dude from that one magazine from the 90s, and then below it says, hackers too. Control the flow, control the world. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's it sounds like it's, it's a good slogan, but it is it is the truth. In this case, it's whoever is controlling these flows, whoever has access and visibility to these flows, is ultimately going to hold a lot of a lot of power. In, in so far as it will allow them to make money, and in so far as money gives them power, right? Uh, so that that that's like my concluding thought is that uh, capitalism is actually bad, obviously. Uh, <laughs> capitalism is bad um data is the new currency of the new world and if you'd like um the ico for chosa coin is actually going to be moved back two weeks <laughs> ICO. Oh, initial chosa offering yeah, initial chosa offering uh, <laughs> all right i mean that that's the dns or there's, there's a lot i like as i said read the uh read the uh the post by geoff geoff is a very good writer in my opinion he he like it's not it's not like overly technical, right? He obviously goes into some technical stuff, but it, like it, I feel like even if you like 
completely don't understand. You can sort of understand the point he's trying to make, which is that uh, people are trying to get control of your DNS query data, which is the core point he's trying to make. Uh, and so go read that. Go try to make, like, if you have questions about DNS, I can try to answer DNS. I think everybody should, if you use the internet, it's not a bad idea to understand what, like, at the basic level, that how the DNS works, uh, because it is, it is a core part of the internet. Uh, so that's 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 our that's our I guess our, our, our like we have two the technical topics today, so we're gonna move on to uh, slightly less technical I guess. <laughs> I mean, I mean, <laughs> so hopefully, I mean we're we're still talking about network stuff. Let's be real. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, yes, but it's a little bit more fun, right? It's a little bit less um, less about uh, a lot of drama going on. Uh, so, uh, Google Stadia. Uh, launched last week, right? It was last, I think, last week. A couple of days ago, basically, yeah, it launched. The problem with the launch is that it's supposed to be the nineteenth, but uh, as we'll get into, there were some uh, issues <laughs> as to when you could actually access the service. <laughs> yes, uh, so Google Stadia launched. Uh, uh, so and reviews obviously have been coming out for various publications, YouTube channels, etc. Uh, like, we're, we're going to put a couple links. We're going to put the Ars Technica review in there, uh, which. Uh, which is fairly harsh, and the uh, and also the gamers Nexus video on the latency characteristics of Google Stadia, like they had to do comparisons between games and like various setups. Uh, so, like this is like Google is trying to sell Stadia as like the future of of hashtag gaming, right? You know, like this is this is gonna be what what are you gonna do in the future? But it's like. It's rough. It's uh, the way it launched is like it's it, like a limited amount of games, right? And like you need really need a wired Ethernet connection to have the best experience. Uh, you need you need a good connection, preferably without uh, data caps, because if you play it on 4K, you're going to use a lot of data. Uh, if you can play on, if you 4K. Can play on 4K, yes, uh, which is which is not guaranteed, by the way. And even on a, even on a good connection, if, even if you have like a good, like solid fiber to the home, hundred megabit. Like so, Gamers Nexus was doing a. Uh, I forgot the word for it, but it's basically when the ISP is a business line, they guarantee that um, the speeds you get a hundred up, a hundred down, guaranteed by their ISP. Like you know, like a nine hundred dollar a month, you know, business line, and they were still sometimes getting dips below 4K on the streams. Which, uh, which obviously is, is, I mean, I'm not surprised because that is probably dependent on like outside factors like Google's own network and like Google's, Google is obviously has to leave the network to transit over the internet. You know, that's, that's problematic. Uh, Wi-Fi, so the Wi-Fi performance is extremely inconsistent, uh, which, which is not surprising. Our good friend Packet Loss comes back it's, into it's the not, mix. not even just Packet Loss, it's also... Uh, jitter, jitter, too, jitter, right? is the, uh, jitter is the correct term, I think. In, in this case, it, even if even if you have no packet loss, there might be there's going to be jitter in your Wi-Fi connection. Uh, like let's jitter for, I should probably explain what jitter is. Jitter is like minor variations in the in the latency of your Wi-Fi of, of your of your network link. Right in this case, uh, a Wi-Fi which is very jittery because it is obviously. Using radio, the electromagnetic spectrum and radios are dependent on, well, it's a shared medium. So, you know, radio conditions uh, vary. They change from second to second. Like, if, if there's interference, if there's uh, another, like, router nearby, it's like if you're living in an apartment building, especially, it's a real big problem. 
so Wi-Fi performance is going to be extremely inconsistent. Chrome Chrome browser streams are limited to 1080p, right? Uh, and the- yep, and Chrome, Chromecast Ultra can do 4K um, 60. However, fun fact, 4K 60 apparently overheats whatever video decoder they have in the Chromecast. And there's been people who have had, there's been reports of after like four hours of gaming, it'll just crash. It'll, the Chromecast will turn off due to overheating. Oh my God, that's amazing. What, so you need a heat sink? You need a heat sink for your Chromecast? And the thing is, too, <laughs> there's no local rendering here. Because so how Stadia works is that it's literally a video stream. So we've talked about it before. Microsoft has bought companies that they're currently not using the tech of, which makes me a little bit sad for xCloud, where there's there's a couple types of game streaming. There is only video streams that you control. And then there's you you basically render out a very low-poly version of of or like a wireframe version of the game that's cheaper resource wise and then you go ahead and paint it using cloud textures right streams became that come in so and the idea between that is that as you're still rendering a local scene input latency is literally what's between the controller and the machine and then all the textures and all of the effects and stuff can be just painted in which I think, honestly, is probably the best way to do game streaming. Because while that needs more computing power, that's still something that, you know, like an integrated GPU can handle at a high frame rate. Since you're only, you know, you're rendering out unpainted, you're not rendering out textures, you're rendering out just poly meshes and, and all that. But, I mean, that Google opted to go for the, uh, we're just going to the video stream one. And it turns out that Chromecast Ultra is kind of... Um, because Google likely is using super cheap hardware, super cheap arm chips. It's not meant to do I, this for that that long. Like it's not meant to decode. It's meant for like YouTube, 4K YouTube videos. But Netflix doesn't do 4K 60, and so um, the only YouTube really does 4K 60. Maybe some like Twitch streams. And I imagine that um, no, they Twitch, do Twitch, much- Twitch, Twitch streams are limited to 1080p 60. Uh, uh, so yes, yeah, so it's only like YouTube that can do that, and I imagine that you know there's no four-hour YouTube video that's gonna be 4K 60. So I guess it's like an unproven use case on the Chromecast yeah. side. Yeah, it is like, and it's the hardware is clearly not like ideal for the situation without any, especially with the heat, the thermal issues on it. I'm not surprised it is having trouble staying online with with, the, with that. Uh, and, and even, which is so hilarious. And, and, just, oh. and also, like the funny part is like it's not just any Chromecast Ultra. You have to buy the specific one, right? Because oh, they're starting oh, to roll out starting the firmware to roll out now the front, Okay, cool. Because that was funny to me. Because it's like you have to buy. Well, you still have to buy the Founders Edition right now or the Premier Edition to even access Stadia until next year. So, which gives you that Chromecast that comes loaded with that software, and as well the um, controller for Stadia is a hundred percent non-repairable by the user. It's Gamers Nexus did a teardown of it. There are no screws. It is held together only by clamps. They had to use a bandsaw to break into it. Because what Google does is Google has a metal plate on the inside of the controller that everything's screwed into. And the thing, though, is that controllers break easily, right? And Microsoft and Sony and even Nintendo just include like regular screws that you could do to pop off the case. Because not even for consumers to repair them, but just because for their own text, right? It makes it way easier to repair. And I don't know, just buying a replacement bumper for an Xbox is like 10 bucks on Amazon, $5 for the piece. And then you can just open it up, pop it in, and then your controller is working again. It, that the lifespan on these controllers are just going to fucking go to a waste for like a go to waste and then just i don't know rot for all eternity it's like this is like a super environmentally not friendly way of environmentally not friendly way rather of not of of making a controller yeah yeah which is extremely unfortunate and like 
The controller also, like the way it works, is it uh, the if you play it on a PC, you can you can connect it wired, right? Only you have so you have to if you're on the phone or if you're on the PC, you have to do it USB C wired to the computer. But if you use it on Chromecast, that has to be connected to Wi-Fi. And the best part is, Google says it's a reduced latency. In the Gamers Nexus video, it is 30 minutes, but please just go through the charts and look through it. There is actually more latency when you use it connected to Wi-Fi versus um, connected directly to the computer. And both the Chromecast and the Google Chrome browser were connected via Ethernet to the same connection. And they had more latency because of the Wi-Fi connection. Yeah, because latency is... uh it's just it's it's because the wife it's the google stadia controller is talking to the cloud it's not talking to the chromecast right it's talking to the cloud which is sending it back down right i think that's how that works i'm not 100 percent. yeah so basically it talks to the server directly to send inputs because google says ideally it should reduce latency because there's not a, a second hop right it's all about how many hops there is to the destination there's only one hop instead of being hop uh, to another hop <sighs> this is I, this is just annoying me because it's like it's like I don't know if it's uh, like introducing the introducing the internet into the mix always adds more problems than it solves in this case. And it's like if you're going to the cloud instead of talking to the Chromecast, it means that you're you're leaving your internet, you're leaving your home network, and then going to the internet, and uh, the, the Google server is going to send that back down to the Chromecast. That is like oh boy, that is. And and so what this equates to on average is about 40, 50 milliseconds on average of more latency and. And it gets even worse when you have games that perform poorly. Because you might think to yourself, okay, I'm doing game streaming. I have a potato. But that means I can play this. You know, it's going to re- even if I my stream can't support it, I'm at least getting downsampled 4K60, right? You know, nope. Metro Exodus runs at an inconsistent 4K30. Yeah, which is amazing to me because... Red Dead Redemption 2 runs at 4K30, but the best part is... So, the built-in games do not have performance toggles, but if you switch from best visual quality to low bandwidth mode, it tr- it turns it from 4K30 to 1080p60. And that's what the game renders at. So, that means that there's... For, for some fucking reason, the games are rendering at different resolutions, but... It should be where it should just be one performance target that then the video stream scales down instead of the performance target for the yeah, game. Yeah, exactly. So it should be like rendering. It should be rendering at like like at, at like a frame rate and uh, resolution on their end on their hardware, and then the video feed will down like be like you know it's a change bandwidth depending on what what you have chosen or like what your network condition is, right? <sighs> because this means that the the games are running at. Essentially, an Xbox One X is more powerful than Google Stadia because of the hardware, even though it has newer CPUs and more powerful GPUs. At the moment, they're not using Navi. They're using a, um, it's like a modified Radeon Pro. Radeon Pro is like the, uh, Vega, the Vega 64 style, uh, set of GPUs, which is objectively faster than an Xbox. Is, um, the CPU has been confirmed, but their digital foundry guess is like a low power, a lower spec Intel Xeon, likely. That should be able to, when optimized properly, which, and I imagine too, I imagine too that part of the reason performance isn't as good is that games do not run well. You don't buy Xeons for gaming because most games go to, you actually get worse performance and you start throwing more threads at them since they're not coded to work for that. So that I would, so that might be part of the reason too that these games don't run as well. It's just that, you know, Destiny or Red Dead Redemption 2. Yeah, they're using server hardware for something that's like not really. 
the games are not really designed for Xeon processors in mind, right? With the, with large- it's likely part of the reason that Microsoft for xCloud, right, is using Xbox One, uh, One systems as the baseline, just for the fact of that, ideally, right, throwing super powerful hardware would be able to brute force it. But if the engine itself just literally doesn't support multiple threads, then you're not going to get better performance. So it doesn't make sense to have server racks for it since it's not yeah, built to support yeah. it. So like the games that are coming with the with the Stadia uh so like a few examples like you know uh Assassin's Creed Odyssey which you have tried by the way the uh the the when they were testing this right like you, you Project Stream yeah. yeah. Um Destiny 2 um which doesn't run at 4K which runs at 1080p 60 which is actually 60 is good but it does like some really gross upscaling to 4K, mm, and it and it also it it doesn't cross play with PC, so you know it's its own player base, which is extremely even stupid. though it supports mouse and keyboard. It's extremely stupid because it's like it's how much people, how many people do you expect to be playing Destiny Two on on Stadia? Like that is going to be. Oh, like, I I don't understand what's what's the what's the reasoning behind that. I want I really want to know somebody from Bungie. Maybe, maybe I don't know. They want they want to talk about that. Like it's it's probably not like some sort of exclusive deal or something. Like I don't know. Uh, it's probably not an exclusive deal. It's probably for the fact of that they're not running. They're probably running a modified console port versus the PC port. That's my honest. Like honestly, that, that is what I what I think it is. Okay. Because think about <laughs> it. If you have if you have Destiny two, we have you have a PC port which doesn't support Vulcan. And then you have the PS4 port that is built for Vulcan because the PS4 runs Vulcan. Which one are you going to port to Stadia? You're going to you're going to port the console version. You're not going to port the PC version. Oh, damn it! Uh, and like what are the games like Final Fantasy 15, uh, Grid, Just Dance 2020? Uh, God, imagine playing a game like Just Dance with that input latency. Do you know how to play it? Do you know how it, you have to use your phone as a con- as as the motion controller? Oh my god, that sounds even yeah, like, worse. I, like I should find like I gotta find like a link. Uh, the giant bomb did a qu- like a quick look of the of the Google Stadia, and the one of the games that they played was was Just Dance twenty twenty, and it is hilarious because they had to like set up do this whole setup process. You have to log in with your Ubisoft account, like you have to install an app on your phone, and then and then connect it. Like you have to log in with your Ubisoft account, and then. Uh, connected, pointed, point, point like at a, a, in, in, enter a code to connect it to your Stadia, and then then you use that phone as your as your uh, as your motion controller. Uh, it's it's, and then you also have to worry about like the latency from now Ubisoft servers uh, all the way to it's, that. It's 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 so it's so weird, and it's like you need you need like a wrist strap for your phone because otherwise you're gonna just throw your phone like across the room because you, you you have to hold it somewhere like you have to you have to hold it in your hand right because to have have it detect the motion properly right and you probably need to strap it in like you need to strap it in with like some uh, some like uh, a wrist strap like it's like otherwise you're going to throw the phone across the room uh and just dance yeah, like why just dance like of all the games but anyways uh metro exodus we mentioned that earlier right metro exodus is is actually interesting it's like it's a very it's a gra- very graphically intensive game as well. So it's like one of it's ideal case, but it's like they're running it in such a bad way. It's like it's I don't think it's like they don't have the hardware to run it at 4K. So it's like they're running it at 4K and it's like running really badly. 
they should really be only running it at 1080p. Like they don't have the hardware for 4K for this game. Like it's it's the hardware they're using is not capable of de- delivering 4K Metro Exodus at 60. Like it's uh, and and the thing is too, you rendering at 30 for the cloud gaming is so bad because you in general, right? Even so, let's say for example, you are using a 60 hertz monitor. And you're capped, obviously, at 60 frames per second on what you can display. Even with that, having a game run at 300 frames per second, you get lower input latency than if you were um, doing 60 at 60 frames per second consistently. Because there's more data, even though you're only seeing you know one, uh, one refresh every 60 milliseconds, or 60 uh, refreshes every 60, however that works, right? You you have more data for the actual inputs to go by. It's quicker for the game to capture inputs so you get lower input latency. Obviously, if you're a cloud streaming and you're doing 4K 30 and your screen refreshes at 60 frames, 60 hertz, you are just introducing more latency everywhere. It's just so ugly. And it's like, especially with games that are more latency sensitive, like, for example, one of the other games that that come with is, is Thumper, which is... Which is a rhythm game, by the way, which is very like it's it's, it's latency sensitive because you know, obviously, especially at the higher levels, uh, it's like you really have to time it properly and like you have to account for that new latency with Stadia because it's it's definitely there. Uh, there are like also like games that are not as problematic, like you know, like maybe Red Dead Redemption Two or like Rise of the Tomb Raider, right? Which are like Singapore Singapore titles, like latency is not as important in those. Uh, but it's still like you're still gonna feel it. But and especially the one game that I want to talk about, that's really problematic. I think for, for well, not it's like it's Mortal Kombat 11, which is which is a fighting game, and in fighting game, latency is everything. It's like it's just like I don't even like. There is a whole article. I, I remember we talked about this right a couple of weeks ago. I think like about netcode, about right? netcode in, in 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 fighting games, right? It's it's a whole article. It's a very good article on Ars Technica, uh, and like the amount of code, uh, the amount of effort that goes into improving netcode for for fighting games, and like the, the how important latency is, and why people prefer sometimes to prefer to play locally because it eliminates the latency issue. Mortal Kombat 11 on on this is just like uh, like on on the Giant Bomb stream they were playing it and they were like this is just feels off like the timings are all off like the combo timings like uh, like dodging and like uh, parrying and mo- moving your character it just feels off like it just feels like you have this sluggishness right like it just uh, I mean the fighting game is like you, you press a button you, you basically you want to see the character do the thing immediately right it's it's like it's like you don't want like the latency is is not especially in th- that specific genre is is very problematic. It's like you don't want that at all, right? Oh my god! Imagine, imagine that. Um, <laughs> imagine for whatever reason that like the games aren't architected to stay internal to the network for their uh, multiplayer. So it's hopping out to the public network and then hopping back in. That's something I actually I I don't know. I yeah, don't actually, know how I multiplayer know. works uh, on that. Like uh Jeff Gersman over at uh I'm gonna I'm gonna put a link in, in Telegram, which uh which was a tweet that he had that he put, which is uh like he he was playing on um uh MK eleven on, on Stadia in an online match and he finally found one and the ping was <laughs> yellow bars, two bars, really bad. 
uh, it's like it's like it's like like that. What is that? What what is what is that? It's it's uh, oh my god! Like it is. So wait, this isn't running. Is it really hopping out to the network and yeah. hopping back into this shit? I mean, yeah. I mean, like, where like it has to do matchmaking, right? Like, it has to do like it's if you're playing online, it's going to do matchmaking with other. I guess it's 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 matchmaking with other Stadia players, uh, and it's possibly like it, it probably doesn't even leave Google's network, or if it does, it's like why is it so bad? Like it's because I've heard too that from Destiny too, it takes like ten minutes for matchmaking because no one's playing it, which is part of the reason that crossplay should have been a thing, Bungie. Not not because I want to play with Static, but mostly because there's no player base right now. Like it's an objectively a bad time. Yeah, it's like like I feel I feel bad for someone who's like, oh yeah, I'm gonna play Destiny finally on Google Stadia, and it's like, well, you can play the single player stuff, I guess, but it's like uh, the Crucible and like raids and like uh, and like multiplayer like gambits and all that of uh, like strikes. And the best thing too about Destiny is that there's like, or even I would say Stadia as a whole is there's honestly no. Um, what's it called there's no live streaming stuff on there because it would make sense right just start like a youtube live stream from stadia but that's not even a feature it's not it's not a feature uh and like there's also like a bunch of titles that are not launched yet that they're planned like by the end of 2019 like you know borderlands 3 and like dark side is genesis dragon ball zetaverse 2 ghost recon breakpoint and like a bunch of other titles are like slated for 2020 right you know like games like uh Cyberpunk 2077 when it comes out, I guess. Like Doom Eternal, uh, The Crew 2, Doom 2016, uh, Super Hot. Oh my god, trying to play Super Hot on this is gonna be absurd. Like Super Hot is like a first person shooter with like a unique gimmick, which uh, I don't know how that's gonna happen. Oh boy. Uh oh boy, this this is a lot of questionable, questionable. So that was like one exclusive title, I think. It's called Guilt, right? Uh, I think it's like a indie title from the developers of. Uh, I'm trying to remember what did they develop. Guilt is uh, who developed this? Tequila Works, right? Tequila Works is what did they develop? I don't remember what else they developed, but uh, uh, the it's like a little. It's a little like indie title. It's like uh, I saw some gameplay of it. It looks fine. It's it's probably the best title for, but like it's the, probably like the only title that's like exclusive to Stadia. All the others are like you know games that are cross platform, right? So it's like I hope the indie developer got paid well enough because like I I don't know how many people are gonna play their game. Uh, so like uh, the worst part about this is like I actually think. You spent 130 on Stadia, or you could just buy a Switch for 70 bucks yeah, more. Probably a much better time. Yeah, uh, and like you buy you buy the you buy the console, and then you have to buy the games, right? You have to buy the games. And these are full price releases, like six like uh, sixty dollars if uh, and like uh, like forty dollars. Like if you, if you have Stadia Pro, you get like the subscription service. You get like a discount, right? Like it's like. You get discounts on games, you still have to buy them. And then next year is coming the free version of it. But I mean, I guess if it's free and you're just paying for games, like, I don't know. Uh, I think we were talking about this in a DM the other day where there's like, there's this idea that if we have cloud computing, it, it assumes, it assumes that internet access, internet speeds, internet quality of service are getting better 
and cheaper, then local processing is getting better and cheaper. But that isn't the case. Even while Intel might be stagnating on their chips, phone-wise and all of that, you local processing power is getting cheaper and faster way at a, at a higher ratio than the internet service around the world is getting cheaper or better. Exactly. Like the local com- local computer is still going to be like long-term, it's still going to be cheaper. And it's like the the difference is just like, and you also like you give up this control, right? You give up all, the, you create all these new issues, like all these latency issues, all this like performance issues. Obviously, you depend on your internet connection. So, like, if your internet connection is down, well, I guess you're not playing any video games if, you, if your only console is is, is Google Stadia. Uh, so, like, and and it and it's strange too because. I mean, games are as a service, right? Like, it's no longer... It's not like, you know, the difference between this and, say, Steam is that you own the game on Steam because you actually don't. Valve can revoke your license at any point. But it's more of... It's more of that since this is Google, it just feels like it's going to go yeah. away, right? I mean, Steam has been... Uh, Valve, Steam has, Valve has, uh, Steam has... Steam is not, like, far from perfect, obviously. Like, a lot of issues with Steam and how Valve runs Steam. But, like... For its all its problems, it has it has it has been a stable service for a long time, right? Like it it, it runs well, like it's available uh, most of the time. Uh, it's very stable. You can buy games on it, and you you, you don't suspect that Valve is going to shut down Steam like tomorrow or something. Like you, like yet you have zero faith with that in Google. Like when is like how if you in, if you're going to invest in this you. Like, who oh boy, you might as well just invest in a console, bro. It's just like, just like a proper console, like buy a PS4, buy an Xbox One, I don't know, build a PC. Like, it, like long term, like, why is it? I don't know if it's a good, like, or a Switch. You mentioned the Switch, the price way, pricing wise. Like, Switch is like not too much, too, too much more expensive than this, right? Uh, and you get like, uh, you got to get a better, better local experience than this. Uh, and it's like, I, like I can't recommend this to like anybody really. Like who is this for? Like who exactly is this for? And and I I I just I have faith in game streaming, right? Like I think XCloud is a much better implementation. I have so I have I got an invite to XCloud. I haven't been able to try it yet because I don't have an Android device. Um but but the idea of XCloud for business model like makes more sense, right? Because you get Games Pass, which is download them locally or play them on XCloud. And that makes sense to me, right? Because are there circumstances that this would make sense? Yes. You know, if I'm, say I'm at a hotel or whatever, or like I'm just using it on my MacBook, right? I'm not home and I have a good internet connection. Even if it's a, even if it's a version of the game that is not, say, optimal, right? Even if it is a little laggy, there's some games where it's fine. If I'm playing Assassin's Creed Odyssey, like I, whatever, that game has input latency up the ass just because of the, how the animations are to begin with, right? So that's fine. That's fine. And if I, and if you go in there, that compromise, it's fine. But at the same time, you're paying what, 15 bucks a month for Xbox Games Pass Ultimate. And then any of those games, you also get, you know, you can play them on xCloud if you want. That makes sense. That seems like not as a primary games platform, but as a feature for a games platform. Uh, it's a, it's 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 a better deal than Stadia because it's like you get more for what you're paying for, and it's like you don't have to buy new hardware to do it, right? It's like it like it feels like a better deal. Like Project X Cloud is obviously not out yet; it's obviously still in its early, like it's still being tested, obviously. Um, 
And but when it comes out, like, but like already for the for the X Cloud beta, you get more games than you do on Stadia, and it's free. Yeah. So it's like somebody over at Microsoft is just like looking at Stadia, like, uh, I mean, it's like this. It's probably like not even worried about it. Like the like if I if I was like somebody on the on the X Cloud project and they look at Stadia, I'm like. They're not even close. I would be sending them like memes of like the E3 presentation when Sony announced the $100 less price drop, right? And they're just photoshopping Phil Spencer onto that. <laughs> oh my god! They're, they're gonna send like a cake that has like a uh, Chromecast uh, on top of it or something. I don't, uh, I don't know. No Chromecast, a melted a Chromecast melted- is <laughs> overheated as a candle. <laughs> oh man! But like that's it's. I I I, I understand why google is doing this but it just specifically when it comes to like really advanced productivity stuff i i i don't think there's been no implementations of a cloud platform that has proven that that's that it's beating local processing google has yet to make any sort of professional productivity apps that only reside in the cloud and there are like machine learning benefits on cloud side stuff that can benefit like doing productivity stuff. Like once again, the local, the machine learning ML models for um, Isotope software or what Adobe's doing for some of the audition stuff. Now that's all like based off of their cloud platform and doing ML stuff. But the base of the application still runs locally just for the fact of that when you're working with huge amounts of data and games are huge amounts of data that need to be, that are being worked on in real time. There's no, there, there's no benefit from doing that in the cloud just for internet access is not cheap enough or better, yeah, good enough than versus the equivalent of local. Processing. Exactly, it's like you're you're just putting you're just you're just you're just moving the problem, like you're just creating a new problem. You're replacing it with a new set of problems that are not solved yet. Like you 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 move the processing to the cloud, but now you have introduced a whole set of new problems. Right, that it's like the the new set of problems are very difficult to solve because they're like policy related, like internet connections are bad in the United States and, in, and not just in the United States, in many locales. Internet connections can be expensive in many locales. Data caps are common in many many locales. So it's like you you are you have so many like problems that Google itself cannot solve by itself. Like they cannot just be like, yeah, like. Well, we can just launch Stadia everywhere, and so the internet is going to solve everything. But it's not like the internet is still problematic in many countries. It's like in some countries, Google services are blocked. It's like Stadia obviously cannot work in China. And like honestly, you could just like I don't know, an Xbox One X all digital edition is one hundred fifty right now. Like if you want, I mean, if you don't want like any like physical media, or whatever, do you want like a digital only sort of thing? Do that. Sign up for Games Pass. Five bucks more than Stadia, twenty bucks more than a Stadia based one, and I mean honestly, with how bad Stadia streaming is, it's basically as good as a base Xbox One <laughs> oh in terms of game quality. Yeah, and you're also like with Xbox One, you also get a wider player base, right? Like if you if you want to play online games, right? You also get a better um, gaming social network attached to it. You also get a better controller. You get a better controller as well. Oh yeah, Xbox One controller is probably my one of, one of my most favorite. Uh, controllers along with the switch pro controller but like yeah you get a better controller you get a better online network like and you get games on your pc through games pass i mean if once again if your pc can't run them that's one thing but you still get you know and they're also windows store games so on that but i mean hey it's included with the games pass ultimate subscription <laughs> yeah so like overall like it's this is not looking like any so like it's it's not looking like it's good for anybody really like if if you're a core gamer 
right? Why would he buy this? Like, there is no reason. Like, if you already have a like, uh, you already have like a console or a PC that you use regularly to play the games. This is not obviously not a good value proposition. And if you are a new, if you're if you're looking into get getting into like you know console games, maybe you maybe you want to play some Red Dead Redemption Two. I don't know, like just an example, like. It just might be better for you to buy a PS4 or an Xbox One, like uh, or a Switch, or a Switch. Because at the end, because the thing is too, right? You're you're paying similar prices for it right now, and on top of that, you're if you say if you're like the uh, <clears throat> let me do my Jim Sterling voice here, casual, casual. I don't know how the hell you pronounce it. If you're that style of person, which once again, there's nothing wrong with. If you're just someone who doesn't play video games. You're like, hey, I want to get into this thing, like. With Stadia, you likely are also someone who doesn't have a a beefy PC, b an Ethernet, a wired connection. Because if you have a good internet connection to your house, if you're playing on Wi-Fi, this goes to shit. Every single test of Stadia has been on Ethernet, just because the amount of issues you have on Wi-Fi, it doesn't doesn't work properly. And and like honestly, what would you what would I rather take? So I have played through Doom 2016 on the Switch before I sold my Switch. That was a blurry mess but you know what input latency was a1 resolution might have been shit but when i moved it moved so honestly it would i would rather play a low res high low input latency version of a game versus a high res high input latency of a game on a stream yeah it's like if you if you want to play like the witcher 3 on the switch it's it's not it doesn't look good but it's it's playable and it's it's the input latency is, is good uh and it's like yeah, there's like not enough benefits to outweigh the downsides here. That that's like the problem here. Like it's not a good value proposition. There's a bunch of features that haven't been that they said they're gonna release, but it's not there in the launch version. Uh, like a bunch of features are not there, uh, and also that you you have to buy games full price for a console. You don't know how long it is going to be supported by Google, so it's like. And I mean, there are some benefits, like say, since all SSD stuff, loading times are really low. Um, the the theory of being able to play a game anywhere is a good idea. Like that, theoretically, it's good. And also, too, if you buy into this, you also get a, a ever listening Google Assistant in your, in your controller. I, there's a microphone in that controller, so it's also actually it doesn't work right now because the feature is not enabled because it's not available. But if you connect it to Wi-Fi, that who knows if that microphone? Yeah, that's on or true. Off. Oh, that's. Mm. Hmm. That's a Wi-Fi connected controller. That controller is always I, on. I don't. I don't like that. Mm, that's that's that makes because with the Xbox with the Xbox you have to manually hook in to you have to turn it on. It's, it's off by default. All the assistance stuff and the PS4 doesn't even support it. But um, but I don't. I guess the longer short of Stadia is um, give it some time. It can be built out into a fully fleshed service, and they might be able to do some stuff on their end. Because honestly, if they literally just throw more power at it and render out games at higher frame rates than what are being displayed, you're going to cut down on input latency. If they can remove they can remove the the variable of the game running for input latency if they just brute force that. And you all you're left is with the network. And for some folks, the network latency might be acceptable, right? Because let's say you there could be there could be like a network latency um detriment that still makes it better input latency wise versus a, a console running at a lower frame rate. They always have that that ability. I mean, it's it's like, and like if you're only looking to play single player titles if, that are not very sensitive on uh, latency, like you know, like the Tomb Raider games or like Assassin's Creed Odyssey, uh, Red Dead Redemption, like if you if you're only planning on playing single player titles, uh, like the latency is probably not as big of a deal, right? 
like I mean, it, it probably isn't. Like if you if you like, it, it's probably fine. Uh, and like you get, but if the performance, if the performance is bad, like if you plan trying to play Metro Exodus and it's like running at like a shitty frame rate at 4K, it's like that's not a good experience. Like that's that's, that's not good. Like you might as well bump it down to if you're not if you're not going to be able to get a good frame rate at 4K, just just turn it down to 1080p 60. Come on, like it's it doesn't have to be at 4K because if it's going to be at 4K and it's going to look like shit, like what does that say? Like people are going to be like, hey, the, the Stadia version is shit. The Stadia is shit. The Stadia version is shit. Come on, it's it doesn't look good for for Stadia like to have that thing running at that trash frame rate. Uh, so. Yeah, like it's this is a beta. This feels like a beta product, right? Like it's a beta. It feels like a release of a beta product, which is an extremely Google thing to do, uh, and they're charging money for it, obviously, and which is uh, even more of a Google thing to do. Uh, so just, uh, just wait. Like if you are on the fence, just wait an, a year uh, for for all this to like. Pan out like, or more importantly, if you're on the fence, if you if you're on the fence and you want a gaming solution right now, I buy a Switch. I would say Xbox is on its last leg. Yeah, or, or, or depends on what you want to play. Like, if, if you want to play games that are like maybe single player time, maybe you want to play PS4 exclusives. In that case, obviously, you want to buy a PS4, right? Uh, like, if you want to play like something like The Witcher Three or like Red Dead Redemption at like a higher resolution and fr- uh, frame rate. Uh, sort of high resolution. You probably want like a beefier console than a Switch, right? You probably want like uh, like an Xbox One X or a PS4 Pro. Yeah, and if you guess you want to play Destiny, um, play play at the platform that your friends play on. Yeah, yeah. Just just uh, if you if you play planning on playing Destiny, just yeah, just find out the place the platform that your friends are on. Or if you're on Windows and you have a Thunderbolt three, no, no, absolutely. Just, that is worse than Stadia. Like it's come on, come on, bro. Come on, bro. Oh my god, that is that is that is worse than that's like that's like alpha. That's that the pre alpha build of of Stadia. Like you know, I had to slide that in. Uh, oh god, with that yeah, though, sh- I think it's time for us. To yeah, wrap I think up we have to wrap. Week. We had another topic, but uh, I think we have talked long enough on Stadia, and the other topic is not that not that big of a deal. Uh, so we're gonna VR doesn't run on eGPU, so I'm not interested. <laughs> yes, no, if it doesn't run eGPU. It's not. It's not a good game, bro. Um, oh my god! Imagine VR is, is streaming. Uh, Holy that's, shit! That's not that gonna be, be so that's, bad. That's not gonna be possible. Like not in our lifetimes. Uh, with that, we're gonna wrap up. Uh, you can find us as always two shades of brown dot com. Email as always is contacted two shades of brown dot com. Uh, you can find me on Mastodon at staticsafe and mastodon.zombocloud.com. Uh, if you want to talk about DNS, uh, that's where you can get where you can reach out. If you want to talk about that, uh, also uh, I have a music blog uh, that's that's new. People might might be interested. It's it's at uh, irreverent dot space. Uh, I think we should put a link in that in, in the show notes or something. But uh, check it out. I ta- I just like post music stuff on there. It's, uh, it's my music posting platform. Uh, and Christian, where can people find you on the internet? So you can find me on Mastodon at Chosefine at chitter.xyz. You can also find my website at chosefine.website. And, um, you know, f- please feel free to contact me there if you would like to uh, form my EGPU enthusiast club. <laughs> EGPU enthusiast club. Uh, and with that, goodbye. Bye.